Sisu Clinic is an innovative, doctor-led aesthetic destination where beauty meets medicine. As one of Ireland's leading aesthetic clinics, we offer the most advanced beauty treatments in the world. Our doctors will partner with you to enhance your natural beauty, so you radiate inside and out. And with 14 clinics across Ireland, there's a Sisu Clinic nearby. Your evolved beauty journey starts here. Visit sisuclinic.com to book your free consultation. Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, the creator of Bridgerton talks to me about the surprising success of the much-talked-about show that returns for a second season this week. As well as that, I chat to Lady Featherington, Polly Walker. We go to our man in Hollywood, Tim Gray, to get his prediction for Oscar on Sunday night. Plus, the director of a creepy new Irish movie, The Cellar. And your chance to win The Matrix Resurrections on DVD. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you had a pleasant St. Patrick's weekend, long thing, whatever that was, those four or five days lots of people had off. It's weird. It's great though. It's great. I was half off. I enjoyed it. And talking of St. Patrick's weekend, a lot of people enjoyed our special St. Patrick's Day screen time special where me and Mark Ryle looked at, I guess, our favourite Irish movies of all time. And uh, we got a great reaction to it. I mean, some people questioned some of our choices, mostly people saying about admissions. Things we didn't get into, everything from The General to Sing Street, all valid choices. There just wasn't enough time. And we say it with all those shows. We probably need to do another one and do one soon. And to the very angry texter who repeatedly took issue with the various people we refer to as being Irish, uh, I hope your day improved. And can I just say in relation to Daniel Day-Lewis, there is absolutely an argument for claiming he is Irish because he does have dual citizenship, as in he is a citizen of Ireland, according to his passport status. So uh, anyway, let's not get into all that. As I say, I hope your day improved and your anger dissipated and you found joy somewhere, which clearly your life is lacking. In TV, I was watching this. Pardon me, my lord. I never got your name. I was wondering if we'd meet again. So you might discern if my wit is acceptable, my manners genteel. But you were eavesdropping. It was hardly an effort, seeing as you were proclaiming your many requirements for a wife loud enough for the entire party to hear. You take issue with my requirements? I take issue with any man who views women merely as chattels and breeding stock. None of that was meant for you. Viscount Bridgerton, yes. When you manage to find this paragon of virtue, whatever makes you think she will accept your suit? Are the young ladies of London truly so easily won? by a pleasing smile and absolutely nothing more. So you find my smile pleasing? I find your opinion of yourself entirely too high. Your character is as deficient as your horsemanship. I shall bid you good night. 
Yes, now that was, of course, a clip from the new season of Bridgerton. Bridgerton has quite simply been a phenomena. It was released on Netflix on Christmas Day 2020. Uh, the world was in lockdown and it did tremendous viewing figures. 82 million. It was the most watched show up until Squid Game came along on, on Netflix. And in case you don't know, it's based on a novel, a series of novels by Julia Quinn. And they're set around London in the early part of the 19th century. And it's all about a family, the Bridgertons and their daughters and sons. And in the first season, Daphne Bridgerton was looking to get married and her mother was parading her around balls and she was the jewel of the season. And she fell in love with a duke, a very handsome duke. And they had this wonderful slightly star-crossed lovers affair it was very saucy stuff uh, but it was very entertaining Bridgerton is pure escapism and I, I think it makes no apologies for that it's not the Sopranos or it's not trying to change your life but as a romping love story with lots of kind of fun betrayal in it and sauciness and also the great character of Lady Whistledown, who's writing about all these scandals in London society. It's it, it's great TV. Not everyone likes it, but I've really enjoyed it. And I watched the whole of the second season, which only lands this week on the 25th of March. And in it, the action moves on. It's not that it's a new cast, but it moves to another member of the family, this time the brother Anthony, who you heard there in the clip, Jonathan Bailey's the actor, Anthony Bridgerton, opposite Kate Sharmer, who is this new lady and member of a new family who enters London's dating society and ball society. And she's played really well in this by Simone Ashley. Now, so far, critics have they've kind of mixed about season two. I really enjoyed it. It's just like the first one, maybe less sex in it, but it's still a tale of kind of rich English people going to balls and falling in love and Lady Whistledown writing her salacious sheet every week. It's very entertaining stuff. And season two has remained as entertaining. It also has this wonderful soundtrack in it where they have like modern songs by, you know, Lady Gaga and they're put to orchestration. Sounds like a really simple idea, but it works remarkably well. I'm a big fan of Bridgerton. And clearly lots of people are too, because as I say, 82 million people watch the first season. So this week I got to talk to its creator and showrunner. He's a man called Chris Van Dusen. And I had a chat with him about the wild success of Bridgerton. 82 million people watch the first season and it's, people call it escapism, but I, I, I think that's a compliment. But even how good it is, were you surprised by the success of it? Because Shows like this don't come along that often, and there's so many TV shows worthy of our watching. But 82 million, have you? Are you over the shock of its success? <laughs> I'm not over the shock. I don't know if I'll ever fully be over the shock. It it all still feels a little bit surreal, it, of course, in the best way possible. It's it's exciting, and the way that this show has been embraced around the world, it, it's really it's floored me. And, and when I when I started seeing the memes and the tweets and the recaps and the, the parodies and, and mm. just the fact that there's a musical on TikTok now based on this show, inspired by this show, it's just incredible. And, and it's something I don't think I ever could have expected or ever will really get over. Yeah, I can imagine. Just you mentioned the music there and I love your handling of the music in it. I'm thinking at this stage, do people like 
I don't know, Bruce Springsteen get in touch and say, any chance you'd use dancing in the dark orchestrally? Because the music has been a serious hit. And what you did with it is such a simple idea, but yet it's one of the most talked about things. Yeah, the music is, is really important to the show. And the whole point of the music is to get whoever's watching at home as excited as the characters would be on screen. So when this season, when the Sharma family, the new family we have in the ton, mm -hmm. when they go into a ballroom and they hear this amazing classical rendition of, of Madonna's Material Girl, they're filled with this excitement. And hopefully the, the hope is that the audience is filled with equal excitement. And I think yeah. that translates so well. And it's part of what really makes Bridgerton Bridgerton. And it's one of the reasons why I love the show so much. So are people getting in touch with you saying, please use my music or? <laughs> there, there have been people that have, that, that, have, that have reached out and you know, it's a process and, and rarely do I ever know what song we're going to use okay. in the final cut. Uh, there were a few exceptions this season, Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball plays, a cover of that song plays at a very pivotal moment. Yes. And I knew going into it, I, I wrote a scene to the cover of that song because it was so perfect and because I knew I had to use it. Yeah, I was going, I was thinking about it, you know, doomed love is the wrong phrase because, you know, love comes good. Cert let's not give any spoilers, but certainly in the first season it did. But there are star-crossed lovers and then some again in season two. Is that just a motif you really enjoy or is that where the drama is when people want to be together but can't be together? Absolutely. I think there's so much inherent conflict in that concept and mm. it makes for some some fascinating television. I think this season we're, we're with Anthony Bridgerton and Kate Sharma and, and we're really focused. We've shifted focus to their love story. And what we're telling is this amazingly fraught and charged and sexy and scandalous enemies to lovers love story. And it's something that that I found really, really compelling and, and something I'm really excited for people to see on the 25th. You mentioned sexy. Well, I was I've really enjoyed season two and it seems the critics, not that you care about them, have too. one of the criticism is too strong a word. But one of the things they're saying is there's not as much sex as last time. It was <laughs> I'm wondering what you make of that. Was it a conscious decision to make it, I don't know, slightly less uh, full of sex at the start? Because it gets sexy, but. I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that this season is any less sexy than the first no. season. I think there was never a certain number of sex scenes that we needed to hit. Uh, you know, the approach to intimacy on the show in the second season is very much the same as the first season. And that is, we, we do these sex scenes to tell a story and mm. they serve a much larger narrative purpose and, and we'll never do a sex scene for the sake of doing a sex scene. It, you know, again, this is, this is, this is a season about fraught looks across the room and, and mm. hand grazes and, and finger touches. And I think those moments are incredibly steamy and mm. the sexual tension that's there from the beginning is just, it's palpable and it's exciting and it builds and builds until we reach a payoff that, that is really, really beyond satisfying. Yeah, I remember watching season one and where we were in Ireland at the time was in the eyes of this terrible lockdown and Christmas was partially ruined. People couldn't see their families and all that kind of thing. And I remember everyone was talking about Bridgerton as this wonderful way to forget about that. And, you know, a strange dovetailing of events and tragically, and in a way one shouldn't even invoke the wider world when talking about it. But, you know, the world has gone to hell, unfortunately, again, straight after that. Has it struck you that Bridgerton has come along again at a very profound moment in certainly Western times. I think so. I think the show affords people an escape and considering these difficult times, an escape is, is what people need and an escape is important. But at the same time, for as lovely and beautiful 
and, and decadent as this world in, we're looking at real issues. And, yeah. and there is a running modern commentary underneath all of this that, you know, in the last 200 years, everything has changed, but nothing has changed when it comes mm. to issues concerning both men and women. Yeah, yeah, very well said. Well, listen, the show is a delight from start to finish. Thanks very much for talking to me, Chris. Thank you so much. Great speaking with you. Chris Van Dusen, the man who created Bridgerton, based on the novels, of course, but it's his baby. He's the showrunner as well. And it's part of the Shonda Rhimes, she television god who gave us Grey's Anatomy. Uh, it's her company, Shondaland. And as I say, Chris Van Dusen is the creator and showrunner. Now, Lady Featherington, the Featheringtons are the other main family in Bridgerton, and they have less luck in the love stakes. Nicola Coughlin, who you know, Dairy Girl star is one of the Featherington daughters. I got to talk to the wonderful English actress, Polly Walker, who's been in everything from Patriot Games up to In the Line of Duty. She plays Lady Featherington, the matriarch of the Featheringtons, and her daughter, Prudence Featherington, played by Bessie Carter, who in this season, they kind of come into their own a bit and they up the ante in the love stakes. You'll see when you watch it. Anyway, here's my chat with them. Polly, your character becomes kind of entrepreneurial in this series, which I really like about romance, but also business. And I know there was a touch of that in the first season, but you really ante up and put your money where your mouth is and try and sort the girls out in every sense of the phrase financially and romantically. Did you get the script and go, this is good stuff? I did. I was I was really pleased because it get you know you got to see a different aspect it wasn't all about prepping the girls for balls it was nice to see her going into business mode and also using her her intelligence which I think is underestimated yeah so yeah no I was thrilled to be given that opportunity how do you see her as a character are you fully sympathetic to her or do you see her as you know being occasionally on the dark side of the right side of the road or how do you see her yeah, I mean, everybody's, you know, it's, it, it's, it, nothing's, nothing's linear. And I think she's um, a complicated character for sure. Like us all. Yeah, exactly. But I think, um, I think her heart's in the right place. And I think that um, she's doing the best she can in difficult circumstances when it wasn't great for women. And uh, mm. she's trying to, she's thinking about the survival of herself and her, and her family. Yeah, absolutely. And Bessie, I suppose the same question for you. You start to get a little entrepreneurial following your mother's bidding as well. Did you also get very heartened when you read the script and you saw what your part was this season? Well, I was glad to have more time with Polly because I love working with Polly. And I also think it was important to see more of that specific mother-daughter relationship, Mm. to see how much Prudence really respects her mother and really wants to do her proud. And whether or not she succeeds, I think, hopefully, is a little bit funny and heartwarming. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I definitely felt um, grateful to have more time uh, with her um, Mm. to show her her naivety as well, like her innocence and her sort of, like, youngness, um, rather than just being the eldest mean sister. You know, there's another I mentioned there. And that's always satisfying to, to discover, yeah. Of course. And I'm sure you're tired talking about the costumes, but but I have to ask the hair, the makeup, the costumes. I mean, it must take a long time. Not that either of you need a lot of work or anything like that, just to clarify. But I just mean the level of detail in the costumes. It's just incredible. Does it take a long time in wardrobe? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it takes for me. 
it takes about <laughs> three hours from start to from me arriving in my sort wow. of blurry five o'clock state, you know, with my <laughs> face still on the pillow in North London, and uh, to getting me sort of ready. Um, yeah, it's a it's a process. It's 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 full on. It's <laughs> exhausting. It's um, challenging, but I think the end results are worth it. They certainly are. The results are on the screen. And Polly, j just by the by, I, I remember seeing you in Patriot Games a long time ago and you've stayed, you know, front and centre. Is there for any young aspiring actors or actresses, how do you keep working all these years and still getting interesting parts? Is there any secret formula for it or do you just show up and do it every day? I don't know that there's a secret formula. I think everybody has their own um, road to travel. I think um, what's important is that I've always had to pay my bills. That's quite a, a motivating <laughs> factor. And I think to stay, my advice would be to stay, to keep your integrity and to, uh, and to, to, to care about the work and and for that to be the motivate for that to be the motivation okay well listen it was lovely to talk to you both and the second series is is delightful so thanks a million thank, thank you. you very much that was the great english actress polly walker and bessie carther talking to me about their roles as lady featherington and prudence featherington in season two of bridgerton which has just landed on netflix this very weekend and if you like season one you will like season two now it's competition time and this week we have five copies of The Matrix Resurrections to give away on DVD. Yes, the long-awaited fourth film in the groundbreaking franchise which was released earlier is now available on DVD. You can win it tonight. I'm going to ask a hard question because there are serious Matrix fans out there so I don't want this to be just text me how do you spell Keanu I think we should put some effort into this people love the Matrix and the franchise so tell me who directed the Matrix Resurrections not an easy question but if you're a Matrix fan it's an easy question and I want a Matrix fan to win the DVD five of them to give away you can text your answer followed by your name to 53106 or you can email your answer to screentime at newstalk.com and the wonderful Anne-Marie Kane, who's also a massive Keanu Reeves fan, will pick a winner. Up next, we talk Sunday night's Oscars with the great Tim Gray. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Well, it's Hollywood's biggest circus and it's back this Sunday night with most of the people in the Kodak Theatre. I am talking, of course, about the Oscars. To look ahead, I'm joined by the ringmaster himself, Variety's awards editor and one of our favourite guests, Tim Gray. Tim, how are you, sir? Very happy to talk to you. How are you? I'm very well. It's been a long time. I think it's it's this time last year. So my apologies. Life got in the way and all these movies that have been coming out. But it's great to have you on the line now. So top of it, I mean, is Hollywood chuffed that it is now the Oscars back with people in the auditorium? Is there a sense where you are that this is business as usual? Hooray. I mean, it's kind of business as usual. Uh, you know, they're back in the Dolby Theater. Mm. Uh, there's fewer people than usual. It's usually 3,000 people, but 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 they're slightly less because of social distancing. Um, uh, but also, uh, I feel like the Academy, aside from 
everybody wondering who's going to win. Everybody's wondering what the Academy is going to do because the Academy has been making a series of very strange decisions about, about the Oscar show. And so people are talking more about the Academy decision makers than they are about the nominees. Okay, so and some of those strange decisions include what exactly? They announced about a month ago that eight of the categories would not be presented live on television. Mm -hmm. So there, there's like 23 categories in all, and and they've moved eight, and and there are categories like like editing. Um, and production design, uh, sound, things like that. And, and people in Hollywood are, are saying, wait a minute, you know, if you're making a movie, you know, the editing and the sound are really important. Sure. I mean, they, you know, you're, you're, you're downgrading these people. So people are upset with that. And then they, they announced um, that there would be a Twitter contest where people could vote for their favorite movie of the year um and this was kind of after uh spider-man movie which which was by far the the number one movie at the box office mm -hmm. last year uh did not get uh many nominations it got one for visual effects so the academy was obviously hoping that spider-man would win and that does have a presence but you know after about a week of voting um somebody announced that the that, that movie Cinderella, a mm. musical version, was number one. And, and everybody was saying, see, this is what happens when you open it up. And the Academy basically said you can vote a maximum of 20 times for your, for your, uh, for your favorite film which is basically inviting people to stuff the ballot box. Yeah. So, so, the, so the, uh, the, the general feeling was that the Cinderella fans were stuffing the ballot box. Mm. And it's like, why wouldn't they? Um, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing for their favorite. So it's, it's just, it's that kind of stuff. And of course, the Academy keeps saying, it's going to be a great show. You're going to love this show. Um, and, you know, they said that last year and last year was a disaster. So um, so everybody's pretty skeptical about the ceremony. And just on this Twitter nomination award thing, is this going to be announced at the Oscars? This is the most popular movie as voted by Twitter followers this year. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And then there's also another uh, Twitter contest. Is, I, I can't even remember the name of it. It's kind of like uh, a favorite uh, moment. Um, okay. So, you know, it's like what was... What was the moment in all of movies that 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 got you cheering? Mm. Um, you know, so so they're they're trying to reach out to the public. Yeah, but I'm I'm not I'm not sure it's going to work. But. Yeah, it it sounds a bit dubious. But let's see. And tell me this then, before we get to your predictions, which is why we really want to talk to you, we're without a, a singular host this year. Is that right? Uh, there, there's going to be three hosts, three three women. Um, and, you know, the, the Academy is trying to build up suspense by not giving too many details, although I, I don't know anybody who's really eager, anxious to find out what, what, the, what the setup is. But I think it's going to be a three hour show is what they're aiming for, uh, with basically one woman hosting each hour. Um, oh, okay. And, and, and uh, you know, so. You know, the, all three will appear at the beginning, and then and then each take over for an hour, uh, which is fine. Uh, yeah, do it. It's Wanda Sykes, um, Amy Schumer, and you know, I, I, God forgive me, but I, I can't remember the third one. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. well, it's but, just a Google but, away. We can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, okay, interesting. Right, so listen, the predictions. Uh, Let's start with best actor, and I'll just toss the ball with you here. If I were choosing, I would say Benedict Cumberbatch. Now, people are going to say I'm biased. I, I spoke to him for The Power of the Dog, but I did think it was an amazing performance. That said, I was in a theatre, as you call them, in that side of the Atlantic, after King Richard, and all these young people, and this hasn't happened to me in a long time, possibly since I was a kid, after the movie, stood up and started applauding, which was quite affecting, I have to say. So my sense is King Richard with Will Smith, it, it's, an, it's an Oscar kind of winning role. What, what are your thoughts? No, I, I, I agree with you completely. I thought, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was great. He's always great. Um, but, but Will Smith, it just seems to be his year. I, I was at, on Saturday, I was at the Producers Guild Awards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times celebrities um, come to these awards and they kind of sneak in uh, partway through, you know, because they're going to present an award blah, 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 and then sneak out. Will Smith was there the whole time. I mean, he was working the room, posing for for selfies with people. He you know, but he's been doing that all of his career. He 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 works hard. Um, you know, he's been around for for several decades. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think it's it's his year. And he you know, he's really he's very different from from his usual performance in this film. He plays um, the real life father of Vina and Serena Williams, tennis players. Yeah. Um, and, and their father, you know, uh, basically created their uh, athletic careers for mm-hmm. them. Um, and so he's you know, he's he's terrific. And I mean, all of the nominees this year, I think, are, are really good. They they all deserve attention, yeah. But uh, but only one can win. Indeed. I think it's going to be him. Yeah. And then best actress. That one's a big guess. I so, mean, but who do you guess? I'm guessing Penelope Cruz. Okay. But uh, I, but you know, I feel like you know, I've been talking with Academy voters, and 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 nobody has has an inside. Um, uh, reason uh, for 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 predicting one person. I mean, most people will say uh, that I talked to uh, Will Smith, but they're all over the map on this one because there's Olivia Coleman, mm. um, uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, Jessica Chastain. Yeah, no, I was uh, wondering Jessica Chastain. I didn't think the Eyes of Tammy Faye was the, certainly the best movie I saw all year, but again, her performance was fantastic as Tammy Faye, and. It's, strikes me as the type of movie again that Oscar really likes. Yeah, no, I th- I think you're right. I mean, because the movie did not do great business. It did not get great reviews. Um and, you know, w- when they opened it, they they were hoping for a lot of Oscar attention. Mm. And then it it kind of just seemed to lose momentum. A most people that I talked to weren't talking about that movie. But then when the Oscar nominations came out, I think the movie got two, one for her and one for hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the makeup is 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 great because it really makes her look like the real life evangelist, yeah. Tammy Faye Baker. Um, so, you know, I think I think both those nominations are deserving. But um, but I think she might win. I mean, you know, for a long time, uh, Kristen Stewart in um, uh, Spencer yeah. playing Princess die was was considered the front runner but I, you know she may still win uh but but again i i would love to see the results you know the the, the academy they never post the results yeah. of, of which branch voted for which person and stuff but i would love to see because i think it's going to be a close race yeah. the actress now there's irish interest in best supporting actress the great jesse buckley for the lost daughter does she have a chance 
I do think she has a chance. I mean, you know, th- there are a lot of uh, key Irish uh, nominees this year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in the supporting actress category, I think I think she's I think she's possible because um, she's respected. She hasn't been around for that, that long on people's radar. Um but you know everything she's done has been terrific. Mm. Uh, I, I think that the the general consensus um, is that Ariana Debose from from West Side Story yeah. is going to win, and you know, and she may. Uh, but it, you know, it'd be interesting because Rita Moreno uh, won in 1961 for that same role in West Side Story, yeah. and Ariana Debose could win uh, for the new West Side Story. Okay. But I also th- I I feel she. Uh, uh, Ariana DeBose is considered the front runner, but I feel like if anybody's going to take it uh, by surprise, it's going to be Jesse Buckley. Okay, well, we live on that hope. It would seem with supporting actor, it's a foregone conclusion, and maybe rightly so, because Troy Costner, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in uh, Coda was uh, brilliant, and it seems to be the wind is very much with him. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, sometimes during Oscars, uh, you know, there there's a kind of a consensus that that a certain person's gonna gonna win, uh, for for whatever reason. But with Troy Coster, he, um, you know, he's 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 really really terrific in the film, and also you know his backstory, the mm-hmm. fact that he's a deaf actor, yeah. has been, has been pounding away for like 30 years with very little recognition you know it's kind of an irresistible story yeah and he's he's been very charming during during award mm. season you know the the, the whole coda team the, yeah. the the actors have been kind of um, moving as a unit going to events and all that kind of stuff and and their their enthusiasm is is kind of contagious so yeah. uh, I, I think you know, jumping ahead, I think Coda could win for Best Picture, but I think Troy is 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 definitely going to win for Supporting Actor. Well, that was where I was going to finish with you. Best Picture. Now, it seemed to me The Power of the Dog was leading the charge, and then suddenly out of nowhere, Coda, which is a great film, don't get me wrong, is, is you know, a very, very close second. So if, if you had to call it, is it between the two of them, or could there be an upset outside of those two? I mean, I think it's between the two of them, but you know, there have always been Oscar surprises sure. because I do think something like Belfast, I think, yes. could win. You know, with, with the Oscars, there's something called a preferential ballot, and basically, when when there's ten nominees, you know, the Academy didn't want uh, some picture to win with just like eleven percent of the vote. Mm. You know, so so they have a preferential thing where you where you put all ten in your order of preference. And so, you know, the, the number one choice is very important, but the number two choice is really important too. Um, they they rarely get down when when they're counting the ballots, they rarely get down to the fourth or fifth favorite mm-hmm. choice. But I think I think something like Coda and uh, Belfast I think a lot of people would make as their number two choice, okay. uh, even if, even if they like uh, Power of the Dog. So, I mean, that could do it because the, the people that I'm talking to, they either love Power of the Dog or they hate it. Yeah. So, uh, but 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 Belfast and Coda, everybody seems to like. You know, okay. it may not be their favorite, but 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 I think it's I think both those films are going to get a lot of number two slots. So I think you know I personally think it's a three way race. Okay. Um, but you know, I I still 
kind of think Power of the Dog is going to win uh, because, you know, people like it. And, and you know, it's again, it's got a kind of an irresistible story with Jane Campion, the New Zealand mm-hmm. director, you know, an, another um, woman director, yes. which, you know, is very rare in Oscar history. Yeah. Finally, finally then, do Oscar, for want of a better phrase, have the balls or the cojones to actually name a streaming movie as the best movie of the year, because that would be the case with Coda and The Power of the Dog. Yeah, I mean, I I think they do. I mean, there are still Oscar voters that I've talked to who don't like the idea of giving giving the top prize to a streaming a movie. But I think COVID has changed everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think three years ago, the idea of a, a streaming film winning winning the top prize was just uh, you know out of the question. But you know, the, the the Hollywood itself has kind of blurred the lines yeah. mean, because, like Warner Brothers, with big movies like Dune, um, they released it simultaneously in streaming and in theaters. So it's like you know the 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 distinction between theaters and streaming w- was blurred. And you know, I'm, I'm, most people are watching these movies at home because you know even if they want to see Dune. They they don't want to go to a theater, um, you know, in a COVID era, yeah. and so and so I I think I think it's quite possible that uh, that a streaming movie would win. Well, always lovely to talk to you. Our man in Hollywood, Tim Gray, is saying Irish eyes could well be smiling in a couple of categories. We will see on Sunday night. Tim, I'm sorry it's been so long, but let's do it again soon. Thanks a lot. I'm always happy to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks for this. Tim Gray of Variety there talking to me about the Oscars. And yes, indeed, I will be watching. I'll even probably watch them live. Yes, that's how seriously I take the Oscars. Or perhaps that's how sad my life is. No, it's how serious I take the Oscars. It's no easy feat to stay up and watch them into the middle of the night because I will have three children come into my room at about half seven in the morning demanding I get up having gone to bed at four o'clock. But hey, that's what I do for the love of the movies. Up next, a scary new Irish movie called The Cellar. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now after Oscar talk and Bridgerton, we want to turn to the cinema and a new Irish movie that opens this weekend, a horror movie, a genuinely creepy one called The Cellar. It's filmed in Roscommon and it tells the story of Kira Woods, who's played by the actress Alicia Cuthbert, who you may know, whose daughter mysteriously vanishes in the cellar of their new house in the country. Kira soon discovers that there's an ancient and powerful entity controlling their home and she will have to face the entity or risk losing her family soul forever. It's written and directed by Brendan Muldowney. You may know him from a previous movie called Pilgrimage, a very good one too. This got its world premiere at the much-talked-about South by Southwest film earlier this month, and I'm delighted to say Brendan joins me now. Hi, Brendan. How are you? Hiya, John. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, listen, I have said many times on this show that the problem with a lot of horrors is, and this might sound ridiculous to you, but they're not very scary. But I was genuinely scared by this at times. Hopefully you'd be pleased to hear. And one or two moments I kind of jumped, which I find doesn't happen with horrors a lot, unfortunately, with me. Obviously it does with the best ones. But I'm wondering, and this might sound like a daft question, but in your head when you realized you were going to make this, did you have the idea, I'm going to make sure this is scary? Well, you know, Look, other people may may argue with you and say it's not scary, but, you know, uh, each to their own. Um, 
It is like, scary. <laughs> it, well, good. So it's, it's hitting it's hitting the right marks for you. I'll t- but I'll tell you an interesting thing about it. It's based on a short film that I made in 2004. Uh, it was a very successful short film that I made called The Ten Steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on YouTube, actually. You can find it. But um, that film was unique because it won uh, Best Short at the Sitches uh, Fantastic Film Festival, which is a hardcore horror audience. So they loved it. And then in, you know, about a month later, it was in the New York International Children's Film Festival where it won the top prize as well. So it really is, it's it's sort of, it's scary, but it's, there's no gore. There's, it's scary enough that children um, really went for it. And over the years, I've seen, I've seen it taught in schools. I've seen lots of comments on platforms like Atom Films, which is gone now, or YouTube, and, you know, and I see a lot of young people discussing what happens next after the short. So it's, um, I suppose that's a roundabout way of saying, I'm glad you found it scary, but it is a sort of fun, scary movie. It's not yeah. dark and twisted, you know? No, 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 no. It's, I, sh- I should have said that. It's not dark and twisted. I did know that it was based on a short you did, but I didn't know it had a fan base among children. That That's kind of fascinating because I was actually thinking, I have a nine-year-old who's, uh, he likes his scares as well, but I have to be very careful about what I show him. And I was trying to decide in my mind, could I show him this or would it scare him too much? But do well, you think maybe my- I could show him this? I would say so, but I mean, you you know yourself that every child is different, so yes. that's it's up to parents individually. My daughter, her favorite film for a long time there was The Others, so I mean, okay. she's well versed in horror films. She loves it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I look. I I would say it's it's for a broad audience, and so if you like, you know, if you like a fun scary movie, I would say that's that's really the the audience. Yeah. Tell me this. You mentioned the 10 steps, right? And the short movie. There is, to me, the best, and I don't want to give any kind of spoiler, but the one of the best moments in the movie is something to do with the counting of steps. Uh, I suppose in a way that is the central conceit of the whole movie to an extent. And it's the central right? conceit of the short film too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's where the basis, the basis of all of this is. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's brilliant, and I would urge people to. I don't want to give a spoiler though, but there's a moment to do with counting steps, and it and it's great. It really is. Tell me this: the house that it's set in is fantastic, and my understanding is, and it's funny. I was talking to a, a director of a calling it horror is probably a bit much a psychological drama. Great movie earlier in the year called Here Before, and they had a brilliant house, and it was two houses stuck together, and it worked brilliantly and they found it at a location scout this house again was was a happy accident you found it or how did the house come about well you know a lot of filmmaking isn't doesn't it's not romantic stories and you know uh about the long search and driving up the drive (laughs) you know there's a lot of things that go into the the thing like the, the financing of the film that when the producers are putting it together some of the financing was coming from an organization called the Rap Fund, which um, helps fund and support films that are going to shoot in the West. So there's a lot of the Western counties like Galway, mm. Sligo, Mayo, Donegal, uh, Roscommon, and I think Leitrim's in there as well. And also, uh, I'm probably forgetting one of the counties. But anyway, uh, a lot of films had been shooting in Galway and Mayo and had been using, you know, and so the fund was eager to get us to shoot in Roscommon. Mm. And so in a way we were restricted to Roscommon uh, and Roscommon. I, I wasn't sure what we'd find, but you know, yes. The, so there is a glamorous story that the day I drove up 
the driveway to Clonala's house and I got out of the car and looked at it. Even at the outside, I went, this is great. And when I walked in, I had always been looking for a long corridor that le led to what could be a cellar door. We had to build our own cellar door. But there was a beautiful open hallway with a staircase and a long corridor. And it was just beautiful, beautiful house. Yeah. Okay. Well, it it works tremendously well in it, I have to say. Now, Alicia Cuthbert and Owen Mackin are great in it as well. Were they who you always wanted in the lead roles? Well, you know, I've known Owen for years. Owen was in my uh, very first feature, Savage. Yeah. So, it, you know, it was really good, great to work with Owen um, as in a lead role for the first time. Um, and Alicia shares an agent with Owen. So okay. it was a sort of, you know, it, it, we were in, Alicia was introduced to the script and I had one phone call with her. And it was just so easy. I mean, I know that sounds like a cliche, but it was like she was able to, um, she was, you know, that what was on my mind, she was, she would say before I said it, I was, I, I didn't want to bring it up, but I was thinking that, you know, dyeing her hair, because she's blonde, natural, well, she's not mm -hmm. naturally blonde, but she goes by, We you know, see her blonde. as blonde, yeah. Yeah. And I just felt, and I didn't want to say it to her. And she just said, I was thinking about dyeing my hair. And I just went, yeah, look, she's thinking the same way as I am. So she was brilliant. Yeah. Herself and Owen were so supportive. And pardon my ignorance, I should have this at, at the tip of my fingers, but the young boy in it who's searching for his missing sister as well, whose name escapes me, he was great. Was that Fitzmaurice and, and Abby Fitz are the two children in the film as What's well. What's the yeah. boy's name again? Dylan Fitzmaurice. Were they, you know, in the era of COVID, did they just send you tapes or was there a casting yeah. director? Or? Yeah, you got it. You've, you've got it there. There was a casting director. They sent me tapes of, of lots of um, kids and I watched uh, I watched the, the, the different tapes, self-tapes. And then I think there might have been a process where I, I shortlisted maybe three for each and, and those three would have done more self-tapes. And then I would have done a Zoom session which I, where I would have given notes but I mean, it's very different to a, a, a live casting process where you're, yeah. you're in the same room. It's very hard. Um, yeah. But, you know, talent shines through. And the two of them, they were just so obvious that they were really good. Yeah. So tell me this, this much talked about Festival of Boat Music and Film South Southwest. It got its premiere there on the 11th of March, I think it was. How it was did the all 12th, that... 12th. The 12th. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll have to fire my PR person, but uh, <laughs> that's not your fault. Uh, tell me this, how, how did that go and what's that experience like? Because it seems to be like the modern day Venice Film Festival or something. Yeah, it's 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 pretty yeah, it's pretty impressive. You know, it's Texas where everything is bigger as well. Yeah, yeah. Austin, Texas, which is the a very it, cool city by all accounts. Exactly, they call it the blue dot in the red state. So, which is it's uh, it's not like all gun toting Trump uh, guys. It's uh it's a, is as you say a very cool state with a lot of music and and bars and arts. You know, so uh, they were very. Uh, it was it's a huge festival because it's not just film. It's a music festival. Mm. It's a, a everything from gaming to they have conferences on everything from in fact nfts and which i don't understand were the big thing this year and blockchain <laughs> and all this stuff but um it, yeah it was amazing because like you know huge crowds amazing huge cinemas we premiered in a cinema called the almo draft house which is famous for years ago they used to kick people out who used their mobile phones but, okay. but they also you can order food and drinks uh from your seat and there's servers just walking through the way they have it laid out is the servers it's, it's on these levels so you can't see the servers and they're just walking and you just write on a piece of paper stick it in front and 
Anyway, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked, but it's no, it's no, just, it's a it's a pleasant side it's distraction. <laughs> it's a different experience. It's a it's yeah. a very different experience. Big, big, everything's big, big, big screen. A lot of you know. So it was just great, and the audiences were very receptive. Yeah, we, we great. had a great time. We stayed for eight days. And now the movie is out in the world from this Friday. Let me ask you finally, Brandon, Pilgrimage, which did well for you. And probably a lot of people ask you about Tom Holland because of the success he's had subsequently. But I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I absolutely adored talking maybe six weeks ago to John Bernthal. Uh, I was talking to him for King Richard and he was just, even though I couldn't see him, it was a similar call to we're on now. He just exuded coolness and he told me this wonderful story about why he loves pit bulls and I was kind of taken aback you know because there's a certain idea about pit bulls and he just explained to me how they always meant something to him and how he felt like one a lot of his life he just seemed like the coolest guy who you'd love to go for a beer with do I have the correct sense of him yeah that's exactly who he is yeah John Bernthal's he's a gentleman He's he's very interesting. He's fun. He's a family man, but he's also mm. great fun out. He's he's very personable. Do you know? And yeah. then on pilgrimage, he arrived and he decided he was going to go method for the first week, and his character in pilgrimage doesn't speak, so he didn't wouldn't speak, and it was impossible. <gasps> Even ordering food or trying to give him directions, it was impossible. And it's not naturally who he is. He's so yeah. gregarious that um, I, I, he did learn enough in the first week to help his character. But it wasn't him. He likes to be the the leader of the pack, cracking jokes. And he's just great fun to be around, actually. Yeah. 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 I got that sense. Well, you seem like a fun guy, too, who made a very good horror movie, which is in cinemas from the 25th of March. Seller. It's well worth a watch. And if you like your scars, you'll certainly like this. Its writer and director is Brendan Muldowney. Brendan, thanks a million. Thanks, John. Mom, Dad, get me out. Hang on, Ellie. Mom, get me out! I'm done here. I need you to watch Stephen tonight. So you're leaving us here on our first night. Go down and check the circuit breaker. No, I'm scared. There's 10 steps to the bottom. Count each step. Can you do that? One, two. You're doing great, Ellie. Keep counting. There's a clip there from the creepy new Irish movie, The Cellar. And you heard me talking there to its director, Brendan Muldowney. And uh, he didn't necessarily see it as that scary. I, I thought it was pretty scary. That is it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on Newstalk. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and the week ahead, and we shall do it all again next week. Take care.